Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Dirt Talk podcast. I believe this is one of the last episodes of the year, maybe even the last episode of the year. We needed one more Thursday episode. We tried to get some guests on at the end of this year, but it's tricky this time of the season. Everybody is Christmasing and New Year'sing and hustling to December 31st. So rather than get somebody on, we thought, well, let's send out a form on Instagram stories asking for people to send in questions. And we got plenty of questions. There is no way I'm going to be able to answer all of the questions, but I'm going to do my best. And what I don't get to, we're going to put away in our little question box and keep on hand for future Dirt Talk episodes in the new year. Um, I will say Alex is not with me. I am in the studio, uh, in the office, completely alone today, which is super nice. Not sorry, Alex. I like being with you, uh, but it's 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 nice to be able to just cruise with no phone calls or, or anybody to to really interrupt my my train of thought today. So it is just me and you cruising down this wonderful street full of questions about the dirt world. So I'm going to pull them up on my phone and we're just going to start to cruise. Now, I uh, full disclosure, I've briefly browsed the questions. I haven't thought about them too much. Um, I will say I am remarkably impressed with the quality of questions. I thought I was going to get a bunch of really stupid questions, but these are actually extraordinarily thoughtful. So Thanks for everybody that sent in questions. If we didn't get to your question, still very much appreciated. Okay. The first question is, do you find the majority of operators in the nation to be union or non-union? Uh, union, non-union, it, it really just depends on the region you're in. If you're if you're somewhere like Chicago, you're going to be union. If you're somewhere like Arizona, more often than not, you're non-union or, or Texas. And then it depends on the trade. But in the dirt world, it's primarily these large urban areas like a Seattle, uh, New York City, Boston, um, Chicago that are primarily union. Outside of that, um, most everything is is non-union. So these these big city areas are strong unions. Sure, there's unions scattered across the United States. Some areas are some union, some not union. Some areas are completely non-union. Some areas are completely union. Um, and I used to, I don't know, I, I used to have a bad taste in my mouth when it came to unions because I was raised in a non-union environment, Arizona, right to work. And I talked to a bunch of business owners about it, but um, after seeing enough of union, non-union, I, I don't have an opinion on on one or the other. I think we need as much help as we can get. And I think most unions do a really nice job um, training people and getting this workforce prepared for what is actually required of them. Now, are there some unions out there that I think are stuck in the past and that just take advantage of their membership. Absolutely. Uh, there's plenty of those, uh, but there's plenty of contractors that do the exact same thing. Uh, contractors stuck in the past, take advantage of their people. So it, it's not really a union, non-union thing. And I think the mentality of union, non-union is somewhat poisonous to the industry and does us a disservice. Um, Unions want to train people and prepare them for the workforce and get them great treatment. Okay. Yeah, I can get on board with that. That's what we're trying to do here. So 
Um, it, it, you know, if you're looking for a job, do your homework. If it's a strong union area, get involved with the unions. If it's not, go right to work. It, you know, one's not better than the other. It really just depends on where you're at in, in the United States. Where is the craziest place this job has allowed you to travel to? Um, without a doubt. Uh, so I'm extraordinarily fortunate and I get to see a lot of remarkable places and meet a lot of great people and see a lot of badass equipment. And it's, it is just an, an absolute treat. Um, but without a doubt, the, the, the craziest place was my trip to Saudi Arabia in 2019. I went out there to visit Zahid Tractor, which is the national Caterpillar dealership out there. Uh, they flew me out. Um, I flew to Jeddah from LAX. And then I traveled the country to a few different construction projects and mining projects. Uh, it was the most different place I'd ever, I'd ever been. I'd done uh, international work before, or I'd, I'd done international travel before, but I'd never been somewhere that was that different. Uh, it was extremely desolate, uh, very extreme, just hot when I was there. And, and you have D11s moving all of this material for this cement facility out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And then this gold mine out in the middle of nowhere. And then we went to this bauxite mine in the middle of nowhere. It was just a really cool, cool experience. It was all the way out there. It was very unfamiliar. The workforce was different. The equipment's a little different because there's no emissions regulations. The culture is very, very uh, fascinating. I'd never experienced it before. So without a doubt, Middle East, Saudi Arabia, craziest place I've been with this job. And the most exciting part about it all is uh, we're actually going back there in a few weeks. So I was supposed to go uh, last week, but due to some technicalities with, with entering the country, so on and so forth. We pushed it to January and I'm really, really excited to go back there and see more construction projects, mining projects. I'm not totally sure what we're going to go see, but it'll be me and Angel on this trip. Last time I was alone, this time I'll have Angel with me and we will be bringing everybody along on Instagram and social media for that. I, I cannot wait. It's, it's going to be pretty cool. <laughs> When are you going to buy an excavator to go with the earth mover? Great question. That is my next purchase is an excavator in particular, a 304. I think a 304 is a perfect size machine for me. A uh, mass X type piece of equipment. So it'll be a real, uh, it, it, it'll complement the, the 259 earth mover real nicely. It'll be sometime next year, uh, maybe middle of the year. I don't know. Right now, equipment's all so backed up. And frankly, there's better places for our money right now than in a mini excavator. Um, so, and, and also my big problem with the earth mover right now is I don't really have anywhere to move dirt with it. And I'm trying to figure that out. So once I figure that out and have a place to actually consistently move dirt or do work, I will be getting myself an excavator. And specifically speaking, it will be a Caterpillar 304 through Thompson Machinery. They have treated me so well, really get, get me taken care of. And I want to continue to do business with them. I'm really, really happy with, with Thompson Machinery here in Nashville. Da, da, da. Why do most companies want three to five years of experience if most people don't have that? Um, well, 
most people in the industry do probably have three to five years experience, but I see you're saying all of these new people, they don't have three to five years experience. Um, I think it is mostly an antiquated business practice. So historically they've gotten away with requiring three to five years experience. It's as a business, it's attractive to hire somebody that is experienced because they can go to work and be productive faster. I think it's short-sighted. I think it's uh, you're, you're better off hiring less experienced people and training them internally so you get exactly what you want to get out of people and really care for them and allow them to build careers at your company. But most companies, they are up against deadlines. They have these schedules they need to meet. They have equipment sitting they just need people that know what they're doing. They don't have time to train and, and so on and so forth. And because of that mentality, they're now in a bigger and bigger pickle. It's only going in one direction and they're, they're getting more desperate. And so they definitely can't train and it's only perpetuating the problem. So I think the, the whole experience thing is very tempting from a company side of things because you can put that person to work quickly, but it's an antiquated mentality. Those people don't exist anymore. They're all working. So like you're saying, most people in the industry, they have that, but they're working. So the people that are looking don't have that. And until the industry adopts the mentality of, hey, we need to better recruit people that don't have that experience. And not only that, but we need to give them pathways into the industry with no experience. And we need to take it upon ourselves to train those people. There's not, we're just going to continue to have a workforce problem. Uh, within our own business, I, I get the mentality of hiring experienced people. We're doing a lot of things right now, and we've had to go out and hire people with 5, 10, 15 years experience because it's hard to, it's just hard to, um, you, you can't manufacture the, the experience. So you need leaders with the experience a lot of times, but a lot of operators, laborers, truck drivers, all of those things, you can build pathways internally to groom people from the bottom up to the top and, and um, allow them to learn at the company. So I, there's, there's value in experience for hiring for experience, but I think the industry overvalues experience. And until the dirt world starts to train people from the ground up, we're still going to have that problem, like I just said. Where do you keep your skid steer? Right now, I have it at a little equipment yard. Um, it bounces back and forth between Woods Equipment, Thompson Machinery, and Rosso. Like I said, I'm trying to find work for it. So if anybody has skid steer work around Nashville, let me know. More than happy to do it. I need some seat time. Trying to get that seat time. I don't charge. I put diesel fuel in it but I need somewhere to run it. So let me know. Um, I was keeping it at my house and then the sheriff got called because it was some kind of violation. Some asshole called the city, which then went to the sheriff, which then went to, I rent my house. So my landlord had to go to court over it. It was a whole fiasco talked about on the podcast before, but now it is elsewhere uh, away from my house where a piece of equipment should be. What work boots do you wear? I wear Ariat Cascades. I really like them. They're square toe lace-ups. Um, every time I post a picture of them on the internet, I get probably 20 or 30 messages. What boots are those? 
Uh, I don't know why they're so sought after, but that's what they are. Ariat Cascades. I've worn them for probably five years. I, I work in them. I hike in them. I live in them. They're very, very good boots. Takes a little bit to break them in like any leather boot, but I've found them to be super solid. Talk about cement plants if you know anything. Uh, I don't know anything about cement plants. They make cement. They take limestone and make it into cement. It's some kind of witchcraft science project as far as I'm concerned. I haven't spent a whole lot of time around the actual plant side. I've spent a lot of time around limestone mining for cement production, but I don't know much about. Um, What does your business do? Great question. Lots of new folks around here wondering what the hell I do. Lots of folks that have followed me for years wondering what the hell I do. I don't explain it very well. In short, we are a family of businesses all providing people-focused solutions for the dirt world. So you can break our business up into three categories. We have uh, a software side of the business now. We're developing software that is people-focused and focused on the dirt world. And that'll be out um, early in, in 2022. We're excited to get that out into the marketplace. We have a, a media business, which is what a lot of people see. Uh, that's the, the photo and primarily video from around the United States. And historically, that's been storytelling. So we do a lot of storytelling for companies across the United States, primarily for workforce development. And then we're also starting to do training. So we're producing training content as well. Um, All the video work we do is to do one of three things or multiple of three things, inspire, educate, or entertain. All focused on the dirt world, all focused on people. And then lastly, we have a services business, which is more hands-on help for dirt world companies. So that is marketing. That is a little bit of consulting. That's recruiting. That's office design. It's a family of businesses all focused on helping construction companies, dirt world companies, we call them our partners, operate more effectively. And so we work with probably 25 heavy civil, earth moving, underground utilities, mining companies uh, across the United States and, and help them better their businesses. Do you have any advice to a laborer who feels stuck in a labor position? Well... I I have been a laborer and I'm going to take this approach from a non-union perspective. If you're union, work through the union to go get an apprenticeship to become an operator, but non-union, you need to be a little bit more clever. So if you're a laborer that's stuck that I'm assuming wants to go to be an operator or eventually a foreman, step one, make sure you're consistently busting your ass. We've talked a lot about that. Make sure you're working as hard as anybody else, if not harder. You're there on time every day. You're planning ahead. You're asking questions. You're just helping everybody on site out. And you are a very, very valuable member of the crew. Laborers are extraordinarily valuable. They're not always treated as such, but let me tell you, you can really impact an operation as a laborer. So step one, make sure you're busting your ass and you can confidently look in the mirror and say, yeah, I am one hell of a laborer. I am doing everything I can. Once you're there, uh, look for opportunities to go beyond that. 
Talk to your foreman. Have a discussion with them. Again, make sure that you're busting your ass. Make sure that you're valuable. But go to them and say, hey, boss, you know, I've been working really hard. I've been really enjoying being being a laborer on this crew. And I appreciate everything you've been doing for me and, and teaching me. But I have ambitions to uh, become a, an equipment operator. Or, or I have ambitions to eventually become a foreman like you. How do I do that? Uh, what's, what's, what are the opportunities available to me? And you'll start to find those opportunities if you look for them. Um, so when I wanted to get into equipment operation first, first time around, I talked to my foreman after, again, busting my ass, earning that respect, getting that trust. And hey, can I run the backhoe uh, after work? So I would stay after work and I would take the backhoe and mess around with a pile of dirt in the yard to try to get a little bit of seat time. So I would do that for a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And then uh, I kind of made it known that I wanted to run equipment a little bit more. So the opportunity came up where I, the, the foreman needed the backhoe driven from here to there. He said, can you go do that? Absolutely, I can. And so I drove the backhoe from, there, from, from here to there. Hey, can you run the sweeper? Absolutely, I can. You just need to... <clears throat> Uh, put it out there that you're looking for those opportunities. And then you need to grab a hold of those opportunities and do exactly what you were doing before as a laborer. Bust your ass, ask questions, talk to other operators, stay hungry and do your best. Um, That's how I would do it. So look for those opportunities and seize those opportunities, work harder than anybody else. And and sometimes uh, make sure to, we just talked about this on another episode, make sure that you've been a laborer long enough. If you've been a laborer for three months, okay, maybe you need another six before you can even think about running equipment. Patience is also part of this as well. So even if you go talk to your foreman and there's not an immediate need for another operator on the crew, it might take a while. That's okay. Don't be a bitter asshole about it. Just do your time. Learn. Be the best damn laborer you possibly can. And if you really, really have exhausted all options and you're still not getting any opportunities, no one gives a shit about you, go to another company that cares about their people. There's a lot of them out there. Go look at any one of the build with partners that we talk about. Go work for them. They'll give you the opportunities. So, but make sure that you can confidently say, I've exhausted all my options. I've busted my ass. I've done my time. I've asked, I've, I've, I've asked questions. I've, I've maintained a good sense of humility. I've done everything I can. Okay. Then go to another company. So that's what I would recommend. With all of the traveling, what differences and tendencies do you see in operators? Across the board, there are some pretty common themes. The biggest differences I see are typically down to the type of equipment used and how it's used. A lot of that is dictated by the ground conditions and just conditions of where they're at. So you go to the East Coast, for example, there's lots of wheeled excavators because everybody's working in an urban environment. Whereas out West, you're not really going to see wheeled excavators because there's a lot of open, uh, a lot of open area. Um, 
you'll see a lot of tractor scrapers in California or Arizona or Colorado, like Bemis. But then in the Midwest, you'll see pans. And um, like uh, I say tractor scrapers as in wheeled scrapers, like Cat 657s. But then in the Midwest, you'll see tractors and pans, like an MTS quad track, for example, because of ground conditions. It's, it's soft. It's the, the soil there is a little bit different. Um, but, but across the board, it's, it's really quite similar. There's similar themes across the entire industry. Bust your ass, stay hungry, show up early, stay late, do your best. It's, it's pretty similar across the board which is why I like the industry. It's, it's so fragmented. Everybody does things a little bit differently, but there's also these common themes that, that unite everybody, whether you're a laborer in California or you're a laborer in Michigan. There's still a lot of common ground there, even when the conditions are completely different. <laughs> what is your favorite GPS system, Trimble or Topcon? I don't know. I, 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 I try to touch on this as much as I can. I'm not an operator. I'll never be an operator. I'll never truly understand what it's like to, under, to, to operate a machine day to day. I won't truly understand what it's like to operate a construction business. I'm a spectator. I have a good understanding of how a construction business works because I talk to a lot of construction business owners, but I've never actually walked a mile in their shoes. So I try to keep my opinions based on my personal experiences. And then when I'm talking about other things, I'm typically reciting what I've learned from others who are experts on the subject. But I have tried to be really careful with talking about things I don't understand and being okay with saying, I don't. I'm not an operator. I, I'm not the person to, to, to answer that. Um, based on travels, Trimble is a hell of a lot more prevalent than other systems out there. I will say that. You see a hell of a lot more Trimble than anything else. But I don't know. I, I've, I've heard good things about both systems, and I'll essentially leave it at that. Your team's biggest accomplishment in 2021, and what is the craziest goal for 2022? Um, our team's biggest accomplishment for 2021 is somewhat vague. It's, it's like build's biggest accomplishment. And honestly, my life's biggest accomplishment so far is the, the team of human beings we have. We just had our team meeting. It's, it's an incredible group of people. All our business has is human capital. I talk a lot about that because it's true. All we have is human capital. That's it. We don't have equipment. We don't have materials. We don't have intellectual property. We don't have real estate. We don't have plants and uh, proprietary processes. We, we, we have none of that. We just have human capital. And watching our team interact a few weeks ago at the team meeting was somewhat extraordinary because everybody, everybody seems to, to like one another. And a lot of these people are totally different from totally different backgrounds and honestly believe in completely different things. And yet we all have this common sense of purpose. We all have this common sense of, of, of understanding and desire to further the dirt worlds, to serve the dirt world. And to see that 
in person to see all those humans interacting with each other in such a positive manner, in such a productive manner, and to sit there and say, holy shit, we have something going for us, is without a doubt my, um, my biggest accomplishment and our business's biggest accomplishment. We can talk about all the stuff we did. We can talk about all these, these big plans or whatever it is, but all of that stems from the human capital we have. And I could not be more proud of, of the people that we, we do have. And that may sound like bullshit. That may, I don't know, whatever it sounds like, it's true. Um, it's, it's what we got. So have we made some, uh, a lot of people mistakes over the past year? Absolutely. Are we going to continue to make people mistakes? Absolutely. Is our culture perfect? not even remotely close, but at the same time, um, we have a good thing going. Craziest goal for 2022. We have some pretty big ambitions for next year. We worked on, I'm going to call it a project end of this year to get us substantial resources to grow into, and I just talked about it earlier, the software side of the business. And that is one of the big focuses for next year is expand the software side of the business. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about it quite yet um, because I want to get it out there before we really hammer on it, but it'll be out there probably March, April, I think. And once it's out there, we'll talk about it real heavily. But we are incredibly hungry right now. We're doubling the size of our team um, from about 35 to about 70. That'll be complete in March um, after Q1, maybe a little bit of Q2. And then from there, it's full send. So it's 2022 is going to be going to be wild. 2021 was a year of trying different things and really figuring out, okay, what's our, sure, we want to go make the dirt world a better place, but what's our, what's our real play here? How can we go do that? And how can we really go make the whole dirt world a better place? Okay. We've had a few years of telling stories and working with partners and doing marketing. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. And we're going to continue to do that. But how do we really impact the entire dirt world? And so we started playing around with different concepts. One of those concepts was build with leaders brought stuff to the marketplace, listened to the market, saw how they react, asked ourselves questions, asked ourselves hard questions. And through that whole process, we've come, uh, come across this, this new path that's crazy exciting. So I will leave it at that. I'm a civil engineering student interested in the construction industry. Any advice on how I can use my degree to get into said industry? I know little to nothing about the dirt world, but as I mentioned, I am fascinated by it. Um, I would, there's two pretty simple pathways into it. Apply as a laborer for the summer and grab a shovel, bust your ass. That's probably the single best way to learn civil engineering is by being a laborer on a construction, in a, on a, for a construction company. You couldn't just typically apply because you're a student, you're only there for the summer, you have no experience. So you're going to need to 
be a little bit more clever about it. You're going to need to go into their office, talk to them, find out who the decision makers are at the company on LinkedIn, sell yourself to them and say, hey, I'm ready to bust my ass. Can I help you guys? Most construction companies I know will give you a shot as long as you don't just submit an application and cross your fingers. If you do that, you're probably not going to hear anything. You need to go a little bit more untraditional. The second route is find an internship with a heavy civil construction company. You can go play for one of the big dogs. They have the best, most formal heavy civil internship programs. Um, they'll, they'll be on their websites. You know, Go look at the ENR list to the biggest heavy civil contractors on the United States and start poking around their websites and start seeing what looks cool. Maybe you want to stay where you're at. Maybe you want to go travel. They offer both. Uh, when I was in Arizona, I did two summers in Arizona, and then I did um, two summers outside of Arizona because they're willing to send you outside of Arizona or, or or outside of wherever you're at. They pay you per diem. They gave me a company vehicle. It was a sweet gig. So I would do one of two things, be a laborer or go get an, an internship or do both. If you're young, I would and have a few summers left of school. I would do your first as a laborer and your second as a more formal intern. You'll get to see a lot more that way. Uh, and, and that's what I did. It was way more valuable to do that than just be an intern the whole time. Here is a uh, funny thing about Garrett Wilson. I can't stand the podcast, but thank you for that. Um. Going to operating schools versus starting from the bottom with the company, pros and cons. So I have somewhat refined my opinion on operating schools. I think they're a good thing. I think they have noble intentions. They're training kids on on the basics of equipment operation. I think there needs to be a lot more of that. So if you want background information on operating before you get into the industry to make it a little less scary, then go to an operating school. If that is the opportunity in front of you, it makes sense. You can make sense. It can make sense for you financially. You know, don't go borrow a bunch of money to do it. But if the dollars check out and you have the time and the opportunities right there, sure, go for it. But if you go to an operating school, don't think you're an operator because you're not. And don't think you're really ahead of anybody else because you're not. I think it's a great experience to get some of that seat time without the high pressure project, real world scenarios. I think it's uh, a great uh, a great experience to get that seat time without potential real safety hazards. Um, so if if you have a legitimate opportunity to go to one, I would say go to one, but don't. Make sure it's not that long of a program. Don't go spend three years doing it. Make sure it's not that expensive. Don't go spend your life savings on it. And don't think you're an operator coming out of it because you're not. You, you're, you're not bypassing that crucial first step of getting in the hole with a shovel. You're not bypassing that crucial first step of having to wrestle your way to a seat in the first place and learn how a freaking bulldozer runs on a real job site. You got a little of that experience. That's valuable. Use it. But at the same time, don't think you're, you're worth any more than the next guy because you're not. 
um, and the best operators in the industry that I know they're confident, but they, they, they have this sense of humility about them because every job's different. Every machine's different. Every situation's different. And even after they've been doing it for 40 years, they're still encountering different ways to do things. They're still learning. They're still being challenged. That's the beauty of the industry. Every day is different. So if you do do a school, there aren't many, uh, but if you do do that path, just remember that stuff. Um, I think they're good, but most of the time, since there aren't that many schools, the by far the best way to do it is go get a job as a laborer, bust your ass, go from there. That's it. Wish I, I wish it was this little magic potion where, oh yeah, you can just get in a dozer tomorrow. That's not how the world works. Sorry. If you think that's how the world works, you're going to go out and get in the world. You're going to get your ass beat. I promise you. I promise you. And even if you do have the opportunity to go jump in that dozer day one, you're screwing yourself. You're going to be a far better dozer hand long-term if you go spend some time on the ground with a shovel. I promise you. I promise you. You're cheating yourself by skipping that step. <laughs> Who's the number one dirt mover in America? Um, you can't really say there's one great dirt mover in America because uh, America has so many great dirt movers. It's not like it's Android versus Apple. You have two operating systems, two companies, and, and that's that. Oh, yeah. Or even cars. Uh, you have a handful of, of car manufacturers that dominate the marketplace. And, oh, you know, I, I freaking love Chevy or I love Ford or Dodge and all the other ones freaking suck or whatever the fucking Ram is now. God forbid I call Dodge Ram pickup trucks Dodges. I love doing that to wind people up. Everybody gets all bent out of shape about it. You freaking Ram fans. Um, it's not like that. Every, every market is dominated by different players. Um, so sure you have these massive heavy civil companies like a Peter Kiewit or a floor or a granite, and they do a very good job. But even those guys, a lot of times sub out the earth moving to a local expert that happens all the time, all the time. And they do it very well themselves. Sure. But also, they know when to leverage the local expertise. So there's a lot of great, great earth-moving contractors out there that I've, I've seen. I mean, like a few that come to mind. You go out on the West Coast. Um, Goodfellow is, is fantastic out there. Independent is fantastic out there. You go Rummel, um, Bemis in, in, in Denver. You have uh, you know, Moina. In, in the Midwest, we work with Wittek Excavating. Those guys, they're just, they're badass. They do such a nice job. Um, it, there's, it, it's just, there's an endless amount of earth moving contractors. And, and a lot of them are really, really good. And being really, really good and being the best doesn't necessarily mean you're massive either. Doesn't necessarily mean you're slamming out triple sevens with 6015s. Maybe you're damn good at digging basements. You're an absolute master at your craft at digging basement. That's a, a high degree of skill as well. So you just have to define what is uh, 
number one. And there's a million different ways to define number one. And even then, I don't think I can say, yeah, sure. This is the best contractor I've ever seen. Every contractor has its its really uh, phenomenal strengths and every contractor has its weaknesses. Every single one I've, I've, I've talked to, every single one. But there are a few guys that are just purebred earth movers. And the one that I've met that's really stood out, that's just, it's just, just a purebred earth mover is, is Larry Ames. That guy is just, that guy was born to move dirt. Or John Moyna, I've heard really good things about, about John Moyna. There's a few guys in the industry that are just absolute legends um, that stand out, but there's a lot of great companies out there. Thoughts on departments of public works or DOTs and the usual, um, the usual bad rap they get, being lazy, et cetera. Uh, they, they do get a bad rap and they get it for good reasons. They are not always the most efficient organizations out there because they're the, they're the government, damn it. The government is, is not a very efficient organization. Those people are not very incentivized to continue to innovate. It's, it's the government. It's the government. But uh, the system in which they operate, in, it's, it's broken. So you can't blame individual actors a lot of times at a DOT. They're working with a broken system and they're doing their best. And we wouldn't have anything without the DOTs or the departments of public works. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have anything. And then, okay, these big contractors come in and build these interstates. Who maintains them? The DOT does. So, sure, do they oftentimes get a bad reputation? Absolutely. Contractors, contractors often get a bad reputation. Everybody oftentimes gets a bad reputation, but I think they deserve a lot of credit because most everybody in the country that works in the industry would not have the work we have without, without them. And I've met a lot of really great folks at DOTs and departments of public works. So sure, you have your, your shitbirds at both. Yeah, you have your shitbirds everywhere, but there's a lot of really great folks at both. And those are the great folks um, that, that help push the, the entire industry forward. We, we need them. Do we need a little bit of reform there? Absolutely. I'd be curious to see how much of this whole infrastructure package is actually going to make its infrastructure. I'd be willing to bet it's a very, very low percentage of that money is actually going to be on projects. Um, and so there, there needs to be a lot of reform there. I think it's a, not a very functional system, but given the current system, I think the folks that are within it are, are doing what they can. Like I said, there's so many, so many good, good questions here. How do you feel about the growth of the business this year? This was a, this was a wacky, a wacky year. We went into it with, I think around 17 full-time people. Yeah, about 17. And we're ending now over 40. So the first six months of the year, we essentially doubled and it caused a lot of problems. Growth is super cool from the outside. And super exciting. Like, wow, we're, we're growing this and that. This is amazing. Oh, yeah. But 
it's very, very problematic. And if you don't have a strong foundation, it can potentially crumble an entire organization, fast growth. So we grew really fast for six months. And then the, the back half of the year, we, I don't want to say took our foot off the gas. We were still working just as hard and still being just, just as diligent and thoughtful and even more thoughtful than we were before. But we uh, stopped hiring and we took some time to shake things out a little bit. Because if we kept on the trajectory we were on early this year, we, we uh, would have broke the company and just run out of money is, is where we were at. We would have just run out of money. So we needed to do things to shore up the finances of the business, which we did end of the year. And we're now in a position to double the company again. Um, is it going to be just as painful as before? I don't know. I'd like to think we've learned a lot of lessons, but then also going from 15, 17 to 35 is a lot less complex than going from 35 to 70. So are we going to have the same problems? Probably not, but we're going to have a whole new set of problems. Um, I'm confident in our ability to do so because like I said, we've made some changes financially that allow us to do that with a little bit more flexibility than before. And then also we have a really strong team and we've made the right investments. We have the leadership that we need. We're not trying to go hire the leaders right now. We already have the leaders. We're spending a lot to develop those leaders. We have an onboarding program. We're developing an internship program. We have great benefits. We pay people really well. We have a defined purpose. We have a really strong foundation we're building on here. So I don't believe it's a house of cards. I think we're going to eat shit a lot of times over in the new year as we grow again. Um, but I'm, I'm really confident in our ability to do so and handle those challenges and problems as they come up because we've, we've put in the time and energy to build that foundation over four years now. And now's the time to grow. Now's the time to go full send. And I don't have a whole lot of heartburn about it. So I feel good about the growth of the business this year. I'm, I'm really proud of where we're at. I am... Uh, cursed with the perpetual desire for more, which is something I need to figure out how to curb a little bit more effectively, but also something I can can use and harness to to drive myself and the business forward. So it's, it's valuable. It's not something to completely get rid of. But this year was cool. We did a lot of cool stuff, but it's not going to be anything compared to what I think we're going to be able to do in, in 2022 which I'm, I'm pretty fired up about. Um, any books on your wish list that you haven't read yet? Tons. I, I buy books all the time and just let them stack up at my house and here at the office now. The one I'm reading currently is called Conscious Leadership. Uh, I read a book a few years ago when I was maybe a year into business called Conscious Capitalism by John Mackey. It reframed a lot of my opinions on business and it reframed a lot of my thoughts on BuildWit as a whole, and it's shaped how we've designed the company over the past few years. And he just wrote a second book not too long ago called Conscious Leadership, building upon conscious capitalism, but focused more on human beings and obviously leadership. I'm like 50 pages into it, but 
so far so good. I'm, I'm very happy with it. What's the worst advice you have heard been given as a 20 something business owner? The first place where my mind goes to on this question is that people will tell me uh, to slow down <laughs> and, and I've been criticized in the past for, for working too much and, and wasting my 20s and not living enough in my 20s. And it's, it is, it's gar- garbage advice. <laughs> garbage advice. I couldn't be living more life than I am right now. And am I missing out on the traditional life of a 20-something? Am I not living that life? Absolutely. I'm not dicking around every weekend. I'm not hanging out with my friends. I'm not getting married. I'm not having freaking kids. I'm going on 27 and a lot of people my age are having kids now and buying houses and they're living great lives. They they live, they're so happy and wow, that's, that's super cool. But um, I don't want that. I have, I've, I've been given a lot and there's the whole mentality of, uh, and I'm trying to remember the actual Bible verse. It's in Luke, I think it is. But but the modern day version of it is to whom much is given, much is required. I was given a lot, a lot. I've been given a lot. There's a lot required of me. And that means I, I can't live that traditional life. But I don't want to live that traditional life. So I'm working all the time. I'm, I've burned through... Uh, quite a few relationships since I started the company. I've I've had a lot of anxiety. It's it's been it's been pretty gnarly, but I I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I think I'm living more life than I possibly could doing anything else. I wake up every day, I give it all all I have, and I can look in the mirror and say I'm exactly where I should be. And so these people that say, I need to calm down. I need to slow down. I need to enjoy my 20s. Fuck you. I'm enjoying it, dude. Sure. Maybe my 20s look different than yours. And maybe my 20s look different than most people's. That's okay. I'm okay with it. I'm totally fine with it. I'm doing what I need to do. I'm doing the most with what I've been given. And honestly, when I do have kids, when I do have a family, I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 40s, I will have a hell of a lot more freedom than most people do. I won't have to call up my boss and say, hey boss, I need some time off work. My, my daughter has a play. I'll be able to go to my daughter's play. I think, again, I don't have kids. I'm, thinking, I'm talking in theory right now. I know life changes, but I will have that option at least because I've put in the time now. I was given the unique opportunity to find my gifts early and to find what really what I really love early on. And I'm doing everything I can not to waste that. So I think that's the worst advice is to to chill out. Another another bad piece of advice is grow up. Like, nah. No, thanks. I don't want to grow up. That sucks. I'm going to make my, my skits look like a cow because it's funny. I'm not going to grow up. Screw you. Um, what has worked best for you in going and actually executing on a massive kick-ass vision 
the way we got to a massive kick-ass vision was one foot in front of another. I started the company without a massive kick-ass vision. Make the dirt world a better place didn't exist when I started BuildWit. It didn't. I started BuildWit because, well, let's, let's go back further. I recognized that I had the opportunity to go do anything in life. I was in a financial position to choose whatever career I wanted to go into. And I didn't have parents saying, you're going to go be a doctor. So what do I, what, what, what really gets me going? Freaking bulldozers, man. They just get me going. I don't know what it is, but they get me going. Okay. How do I be around bulldozers all the time? Well, I should start a construction company. I was around business owners growing up. Everybody ran a business, started a business. That was the thing to do. Okay, cool. I'll do that too. I'm going to go start a construction company. Shit. I don't know anything about construction. So I better go get some jobs in construction. Okay. I go work in construction. Then I uh, listen to Andy Frisella, MF CEO Project podcast. He talks about personal branding. I say, shit, that's pretty cool. What's my brand? How do I leverage social media as a tool? What's my unique story? Well, I've been working in the construction industry for a few years now. I've been loving it. I didn't have a background in this. This is all new to me. I can share my experiences. Okay, I'm going to start posting on social media. Oh no, I'm running out of photos from all of my, my experiences. I need to go start taking photos around, around uh, a town. And I need to start asking to get on other job sites. Okay, cool. Great. This opportunity to go work for iBuild America, manage that comes up. Okay, I'm going to go work for iBuild America, HCSS. I'm going to go lead that program because this gives me, uh, I can build upon what I've been doing with this little build with thing on the side. And it gives me a bigger platform to impact more of the industry. Great. Okay. Um, that, that didn't work out as, as planned. I want to go do what I'm doing here, but I want to do it my way. Okay. I'm going to go start a company and I'm going to go run around the country and take pictures and I'm going to go tell stories. Oh, wow. I'm traveling around the country now for, for a year or two. I'm, there's this big workforce problem. I think, I think I'm in a position to do something about it to inspire the next generation, to inspire the current generation, the current group of construction companies to, to do business in a, in, a, in a better, smarter, more effective manner. Okay, how do we do that? Well, let's do some marketing. And okay, let's go build a marketing business. Okay, great, we have this marketing business, but how do we impact the industry to more than that? Well, let's go empower the next generation of leaders. Oh yeah, okay, cool. Let's go build a leadership training program. Do you know how to do? No, I don't know how to do that, but we can go try. Okay, now there's build of leaders. Now we take build of leaders to the market and now the market says, well, this is great. But what about other training? Oh yeah, we can do that too. And oh yeah, we can go build a family of businesses all focused on this people problem in the dirt world. Whoa. That's this huge, huge opportunity. There's a lot of room there. There's a lot we can do. That's so cool. But it was one foot in front of another. It wasn't a kick-ass vision. It was, I'm going to go chase something I really love. Okay. And then you just keep going down the path 
And the more you learn, the more people you talk to, the more you experience, the bigger and bigger and bigger the vision becomes. But it's because we've done the work so far. It's now, I started the company just about four years ago, and I was doing BuildWit before that for quite a while. Started all this 2017. We're going on 2022. Five years. So not a long time. But I started in construction when I was 18. I'm going on 27. So I've done nine years. And I've done a lot more than most people. That that nine years is a lot more than a traditional nine-year career because I've been on, at this point, thousands of job sites. So that's, that's what's worked best is doing the work. Because if you do the work, you, 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 you unravel, unravel this bigger and bigger and bigger vision. And now you, you've done the work. You have the confidence to actually execute upon that mission because you discovered it. So that would be like, like, that's what worked is we've done the work to actually earn even the right to go after that vision, which is then why people believe in the vision because I believe in the vision because I did the work to discover it in the first place, helped by thousands of people. I didn't, I didn't do it. It's not, oh, I'm smarter than everybody else. Most people, I, I didn't, I wasn't even the one that really unraveled this whole thing. It's been other people conversating with me that have given me all these ideas in the first place. I've just kind of been the little mixing bowl and put them all together. So that's what I would have to say to that. Uh, How'd you fall in love with dirt? What woke your interest in heavy machinery? A lot of it was frankly luck. I remember distinctly growing up, I would drive, I would drive, my dad would drive me to kindergarten and there was a big construction project at the time. The, the 101 highway was being built through Scottsdale, Arizona. And we would have to go alongside it. And there are all these cranes. And I remember this, this concrete pipe. And I can almost see it in my head. I don't know why or how that's still in my little hard drive. But I, I freaking loved it. I freaking loved it. And um, I didn't at the time pay a lot of attention to that's a career. I, I grew up through um, elementary school, middle school, high school, never once sitting there saying, I want to be in construction <clears throat> until I, um, uh, I've talked a lot about it. I went and worked up in, in Montana. First time I'd done manual labor uh, on, on, a, on a daily basis for, for weeks and weeks and weeks in, in my entire life. And I really, and, and not only that, the labor was, was really important, but, but where I was, it was a really unique place where there would be these really um, accomplished people that would come in every, every, every week. And I would get to listen into these conversations. And, and through that experience, I spent two summers up there, probably a combined like maybe 10 or 12 weeks. <clears throat> um, through those experiences, I really figured out, wow, I, I'm in this unique position of I can do whatever I want. I just talked about this. I better pick something that really, really excites me. 
And so I, I evaluated my life. Like what, what really gets me going? What really gets me going? And it wasn't this brain blast. It was probably the last year uh, of so of high school where I was, I, I was really into aquariums at the time. So maybe I could make a job out of aquariums. And when I was younger, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Wow, this is really cool. But then I thought, uh, it's kind of a hobby. It's a little niche and kind of a small market. I want to do something a little bit bigger. Not saying that's not big, but it, it just didn't. It, it, hey, I'm going to keep this a hobby. This is fun. I don't want to do it for work. I'm just going to keep it as a hobby. And that was my first technical job was at an aquarium store. I worked there for two years in high school. Had this massive aquarium in my freaking bedroom at my mom's house. It was totally obnoxious. So I was I was doing all that and that was fun. But then I there was this big construction project in my neighborhood and I would go out there after school every day and watch it. And I started thinking, hmm, this gets me, this really gets me going. This really gets me going. How do I get around this more? And I talked to Rich Pearson and he offered a, I, hey, let me let me take you out on the job site. And I remember this this 385 that they had rented, digging through rock with this just gnarly ass rock bucket. And I was in love. I was in love. Okay, that's what I want to do. So I became a laborer on that operation. I went to school. There's a lot of facets of construction. And I think the first the first delineation is, do you want to go horizontal or vertical? And I really thought about it. What gets me going? And I spent time around big buildings and residential projects and, and a lot of the vertical world, but it was, no, it was the horizontal world that really got me going. So, okay. Construction. Cool. But do you like horizontal or vertical? You're buildings guy or you dirt guy or, or roads guy or whatever it is. And then, okay, you go into horizontal. Now there's a lot of facets of horizontal. You can go into pipelines. You can go into mass excavation, roads, bridges. I, for me, I most naturally gravitate to earth moving. I love watching an excavator hog material. That is, that is what I love. But it was through a lot of years of self-discovery to get to that point. I was working for Kiwit in Mount Vernon, Washington. We had a PC-2000 digging through rock. We were blasting every day. We had a 990 loader, 988 loader. We had rigid frame trucks, a D10. That was awesome. That's what I, I absolutely loved. So I, I, there was a lot of luck there to begin with. I was put in a position where I could choose whatever kind of career I wanted to. Um, I was able, I was, I was in a position where I could really kind of evaluate my life and my experiences and say, I think construction is what it is. And then I was put in a lot of positions where I could explore the construction industry to figure out what really, really resonated with me. Um, and I've, and I've over the past nine years really narrowed it down to, yeah, I'm a dirt guy, which is why we've built our business around the dirt world, which is why we don't do buildings. We don't do residential. I don't want to touch mechanical. I don't want to touch um, plumbing and, and electrical and, and anything residential. I appreciate all that. And they're building a concrete building right next door to us. That, those guys are absolute craftsmen. How they get the damn thing straight up in the air, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. I have no idea. But they're also blasting and digging a basement right next door for the same project. That is way cooler to me. 
that's way cooler. Putting explosives in the ground, letting her rip, tearing it up with excavators and, and loading trucks out. Yeah, yeah, that's where we're at. So that's how I can best explain how I fell in love with it. It chose me. I didn't choose it. And then I was put in a position where I could actually choose it. There's a few people that want Jimmy Starbuck back on. He's going to come out here sometime next year and we'll have him in Nashville in the studio. So it'll be sometime next year, but he has to get his permission slip signed by the freaking Australian government first. How does a contractor compete with suppliers that aggressively bid the same work? I don't know if it's like supposed to be suppliers. So somebody that also supplies you stuff that also helps you, but also bids other work. I'm going to treat this as how do you differentiate yourself between other people that are aggressively bidding the same work you are in the same marketplace. Um, first step from people standpoint, make your, make your company a really great place to work. Respect the hell out of your people, train your people, empower your people, let them come up with the plan. The war is going to be won. I hate to use a war analogy. But the future, to eliminate the war analogy, the future of construction, I promise you, is people. It's people. So figure out, read conscious leadership, figure out how to treat people better, how to make your company a really sought after place to work. Um, look at other markets. Do I need to be bidding against all of these people, aggressively bidding all this work? Or can I go elsewhere? That's a little bit quieter. Maybe you pivot your business a little bit. Maybe you go elsewhere. That's what I would do. I'd make my business a great place. And then when I get the work, I really go above and beyond to take care of the customer. I'd only go so far with a DOT or, or public works. I understand that. But with private customers, go way above and beyond to take care of them. Way above and beyond. Because then, Maybe you're going to start beating these other people out without, without the dollars. I think you can be more efficient, especially if your people are motivated and you don't have all of this turnover and they're coming up with the plans and taking ownership. I think you can operate a far more effective business with, with empowered people. So that's a huge advantage. And then if you really go above and beyond to care for the customer, really go above and beyond, way, way, way beyond. You don't change order them. You don't screw them. You, you do stuff way outside of your project scope. Maybe you don't make any money on a job. You take care of any problems that come up. You are going to be the preferred vendor because you make their life easier. And that's worth more than choosing the low bid a lot of times. So that's how I would slice that one. Here's one from Alex Burnett. I was watching a really bad operator last week. Made me think of Pat Allen. Ever happened to you? <laughs> uh, absolutely. All the time. All the time. What made you choose Nashville as the BuildWit World headquarters? I was in a unique... Okay, so after school, I went to Arizona State University. I moved to Texas. I moved to Fort Worth, Texas to go work for a road construction company. It was a unique opportunity. 
I had worked on bidding this job for a year and, and helping to come up with the plan on how to build it. It was a CMAR, construction manager at risk. So it was alternative delivery. So I'd worked on this project in the office for a year while I was doing my senior year. And then I could go out and build it, which was it, just a, a really, really unique, like I said, opportunity. So I go to Texas and it was great. I loved Fort Worth. I'm a huge fan of Fort Worth. I think it's a very underrated city in the United States. Um, an opportunity came up with HCSS. I build America down in Houston. So four months after I moved to Fort Worth, I moved to Houston. That lasted about four months. And I abruptly quit my job, broke my lease there, and moved in with my dad back in Phoenix. Uh, moving back in with my dad was advantageous because I had just dropped my whole salary and I was going to start a company to start a company. You need capital. You can't have this big old burden of these life expenses. So I thought, why don't I just live with my dad for a few months? I don't have to pay rent. There's a bed there. There's a bathroom there. And I can go figure out how to build this thing without worrying about rent payments for a little bit. Great. So there I was back in Arizona. I uh, went back to Arizona and immediately, uh, Arizona is very comfy and cozy because I grew up there. It's a great place. It's a super, super great place. But I immediately had this gut feeling that was like, hey, you need to go elsewhere. You moved away for a reason. Now you're back. You got to get the hell out of here. You, you got to go. And I lived in Arizona for two and a half, almost three years while I started BuildWit. And that, that, that feeling never, never went away. And, and it was weird because I couldn't necessarily visualize raising my future children and having my family in Phoenix. I don't, again, I don't know why. I can't tell you just these concrete reasons. I just, I couldn't see it. And my gut is always right. Um, and so I said, okay, I'm, I'm traveling to all these cities in the, in the United States. I'm going to file this way, uh, file this away in the back of my mind. And while I travel these to these cities and states, I'm going to ask myself the question, could I see myself raising my kids here? Could I see myself living here long-term? The place that kept, that was consistently like, yep, was Middle Tennessee, Nashville area. I started coming here almost when I started the company with Rosso. We'd visit Rosso quite regularly. And then we started working with Southern Sight. So we had two companies out here. And then we started having meetings out in Nashville. And it quickly became apparent that Nashville was it. I had a few other cities on my short list, but I, would, I, I went to those other cities, Denver, Austin, and yeah, they just weren't it. So gut said, yeah, Nashville's it. And um, my, uh, <laughs> what happened was my girlfriend broke up with me quite abruptly. And it was like a week or two after. I was moving to Nashville. I needed a kick in the ass that said, hey, you've been in Phoenix for too long. You know Nashville's the place. Get on with it, you jack wagon. So that's what I did. I moved out there quite abruptly a few weeks few weeks later. Um, my lease wasn't even up in Arizona. I just knew I needed to get out here. I knew I needed to start looking for office space. We had grown to a point where, okay, we need a home. So personally, Nashville is, is I think, right for me. And that's right for the business because there's a great talent pool here. It's a very sought after place to live nowadays. There's no state income tax. 
It's very central in the United States. I can reach a very large percentage of the U.S. population and a very large percentage of our partners and construction companies from Tennessee. Um, and, and, and it's, it's a destination. So the companies we work with, the owners, so on and so forth, they like coming here. They like visiting because it's just fun. Like Garrett Wilson, he just came down here for a podcast. He stays the weekend with his wife. Well, I've never, never been in Nashville. Let's go check it out. It's a fun place. It's a great place. It's a great place to live. So that is how I chose Nashville, Tennessee. And we now have our headquarters here and we'll be here for the foreseeable future. Why didn't you get a 299 D3 instead of uh, your 259? Bigger is always better. Bigger is always better, but 299 is just a little too much machine for me. I, I don't know if you've really seen them side by side and run them side by side. 299, that's a, that's a big machine. It's a, it's, it's a pretty damn big machine in the, in the small machine world. I know it's like, Oh, well, uh, a 992 is way bigger than fuck you. I get it. But a 299, that's a, that's a big little machine and it's just a little too much. And then to pull it, now you need a CDL and now you need a bigger truck. And, and it's, it's for what I'm doing. I don't need a machine that big. I'm not a land clearing contractor. I'm not really pushing the machine to its limits. So 259, perfect size, perfect size machine, has tracks. Uh, it's, it's everything I need. And a 299 is way more expensive than a 259, way more expensive. So, okay, cool. You're a land clearing contractor. You can spend a hundred grand on a skid steer. By all means, you're, you're actually using it for something. I'm not using mine for something. So I don't need to go spend, uh, you know, whatever it is, 30, $40,000 more on a, on a 299. Why the cow print on the skitty? Um, well, someone made a joke about it. Molly, our designer, who, who helped us with the office. And I decided to paint it white because I just wanted a unique color. And so I, I went through the Rolodex in my head of colors, the color palette, and arrived at, oh, I think white is, is cool. It's, it's, it's simple, but unique. Okay, white machine it was. And Molly said, you should, you should put cow spots on it. Cause that'd be hilarious. And, and I was like, okay, Molly, whatever. And then I started thinking about it more and more and more. And I was like, that's actually a great idea. That's actually pretty damn funny. Um, so we got it and brought it to a local graphic design shop and said, I want it to look like a cow. They said, say no more. They made it look like a cow. Why? Because it's hilarious. And it's, it's, it's a little bit of like a, hey guys, I told you I'm not going away. So I'm still here and I'm not only still here, but now I'm buying cat machines and I'm dressing them up like freaking farm animals because I can. There's a little bit of that. It's a little bit of like, it's a little bit of playfulness. One of our values lighten up. Uh, it's hilarious. And it's a little bit of like a, you thought I was just going to go away and be this little fad. I am here to stay, unfortunately for you. And also I can do what I want within reason, but I can go make a skitster look like a cow because I did it. So that's the best explanation I have. I followed you for over a year. How do you process not knowing things? It takes self-confidence. You just have to start admitting you don't know things. 
is I, I when I started out, I tr- I've, I've talked lots about this. I acted like I knew everything. I was an industry expert and people started to call me on my bullshit and I was all stressed out about it. And oh God, they're going to find out. And then I thought, why am I doing this? Why don't I just say, I don't know what I'm doing. And it was so much easier and so less stressful and someone to correct me and, Hey, no, it's actually this. And I'd say, wow, thank you. You're right. I was wrong. It's just an easier way to live. So it's a little scary at first, but you get people's respect a lot faster when you say, hey, I don't know the right answer here. I don't know what I'm doing. You have a lot more experience than I do. What would you do? And they say, well, I would do this and that. And I say, that's, that's a great idea. And then I go do what they suggested. That's a pretty quick way to earn people's respect. And it's a much faster way to learn. So if you're a young person in the industry, I, it's, you want to act like you're an expert because we're tribal creatures and we want to fit in. And not fitting in in this industry isn't always that much, that much fun because people make it hell. But let me tell you, you are way better off being an asshole and admitting you don't know anything. You will gain way more respect that way. It's really scary at first, but it is by far, by far the better approach to the dirt world, to any world. That's what I have to say there. If you had to start over on the Dirt Talk podcast, what would you do differently? I would have started the Dirt Talk podcast earlier. I procrastinated for about a year. Uh, with Dan Briscoe, who helps me run the company. He, he was telling me monthly, you need to start a podcast. You need to start a podcast. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I honestly pushed it off because I didn't know how to start a podcast and it was going to be uncomfortable. And I wish I wouldn't have procrastinated. I wish I would have gotten uh, a, a year uh, more of a head start on it because we would be that much further. So I think that's what I would do differently. Um, I would have done more in person. We've done more in person interviews lately and they are so much more beneficial and fun for me. And I think they're just higher quality interviews because it's more personable. So that's a change we're going to be going full bore on into this next year is a majority of the interviews in 2022 will be in person because we found that's just a, a far a far better approach. And sure, it's a lot more convenient or inconvenient. There's a lot more that goes into it, but the quality of product and the joy that comes out of it, uh, it it's unmatched compared to, to anything online. How big do you see your company getting to be employee-wise? Um, I want to go into the many hundreds and eventually thousands. I don't know how quite yet, but I want to employ as many people as I can because that is the single greatest joy I have found in life is employing people and giving them the opportunities to find their gifts, craft and hone their skills and use them to go make the world better. Um, it's so, so cool. So cool. And, and human capital is such a powerful, powerful, powerful investment. 
So the more I can invest in humans and impact lives and give people um, professions that they're actually proud of, that to me is so worthwhile. So we're approaching around 50, but again, I don't know how, but I eventually want it to be thousands. And I think we can even go to tens of thousands one day with the plan I have in my head. It sounds a little crazy. Um, three years ago, going to 50 sounded a little crazy. Now the vision's a little bit bigger, but I actually think we can do it. I don't think it's crazy. So, uh, 2022, I think we'll be, we'll end the year at about a hundred full-time if I had to guess with maybe another 50 part-time. So substantially larger than we are today, but we're just getting going. I, I turn 27 years old next year. I've got a lot, I've got a lot of time on the clock, a lot of time on the clock. Uh, and so with that time, I want to go impact profoundly through employment as many people's lives as I possibly can. How do I make it look so easy? Uh, because I trust people and because I employ really, really, really amazing people and not, I don't want to say employ. I, 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 I surround myself. I work with a lot of really incredible human beings. I, I have, um, I'm comfortable with what I'm, I'm not good at. I'm not good at a lot of things. I'm not good at a, a, a lot of what our company does. Like software, for example, I couldn't tell you a single thing about software and how to build it, but we have great people that know how to do it. And I trust them. I wholeheartedly trust them to do it. And so I'm not always stressed out. I'm not always running around with my hair on fire. I'm not always having to just grind for 16 hours a day. I work every day a lot, but that's because I want to, not because I necessarily have to, because we have a lot of great human beings taking care of a majority of what our company does. The company does not revolve around me. I'm not the center of the universe here. That's okay. That's by design. That's the only way we can scale this thing. That's the only way we can actually turn this into something that it, it, it should be. It needs to be. I'm telling you, trusting people goes a long way. If you say, I trust you, if I tell you, I trust you, and I mean it, and humans are smart, they can pick up on the intent. If I really mean it, and then I act accordingly, and I act in a way that, that says very clearly, I trust you, more often than not, you're not going to screw things up. You're not going to try to screw me. And that's what we do. We just wholeheartedly trust our people. I don't have a choice. I don't have the experience. I don't know everything. I don't know what we do, but I'm not going to let that hold me back. We have the people that do know what the hell there's, there, the, do know what the hell's going on. Okay, cool. That's all we need. I don't need to know everything. What's the best website builder to use when starting out? I highly recommend Squarespace or Wix. Um, huge fan of both. I'm currently building out a website for BuildWit excavating grading on Squarespace. You takes a, a second to get used to, but you essentially just drag and drop photos and not having a website or having a shitty website, it's really screwing you. 
in this day and age, I promise you. So spend the time, spend the week to get some photos, to write some shitty text and put a, put a little website together. It costs you like a hundred bucks or something, something somewhere. It's super, super affordable. I would go in that direction. If you're just starting out, go get a Squarespace subscription, go get a Wix subscription and just go build out a very simple website. As your business grows, as you get more resources, go hire a local agency to go handle it for you. But until then, you don't need to go pay somebody. You can go build it yourself. But don't just not build a website because uh, you, you don't know how. Um, it's, we're going on year 2022. You can't not have a website. And not knowing how to build a website is not an excuse for having one anymore because there are tools like Squarespace or Wix and many others that essentially build the entire website for you. How did you start? Uh, how did you decide a starting price for your services? When I um, first started out doing pictures, so on and so forth, I quite literally just made up a number that sounded a little crazy. And they said, yes. And I thought, holy shit, I have a business. This is crazy. Whoa. And then I was asked to do something else. And it was a website. I didn't know how to price a website. So I called up Dan Briscoe, who I had worked with at HGSS and said, Dan, I need to build a website. I don't know how to build a website. And I don't know how much it should cost. And he said, well, I have someone that knows how to build a website. And roughly, here's what we should charge. Okay. So I went with that number, sent it off. They said, yes. I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. And through trial and error, you start to develop what your prices should be. And then now it's, hey, what do our prices need to be to actually make sure we're covering our costs? Because now that we have some historical data, we have a CFO, we, we have project management. So I can go to them and say, guys, what do I need to be charging on this website to actually break even? And you can, now that we have the data, we can come up with a pretty viable number. Hey, here's what it costs. And from where we're at, from a business standpoint, our numbers now only typically serve bigger contractors with, with much greater resources than smaller contractors. That's where we've had to go as a business because we're not just trying to do marketing and, and video anymore. We're trying to do some other things. We need to support the entire organization. That means we need to work with bigger contractors. That's okay. That's where our business has gone. So honestly, you originally just make it up, talk to other people in the industry. Um, they probably won't give you all that much information. People in my industry weren't all that helpful to start. So you start making it up. You start seeing what works for your business. You start trying to put pen to paper and make it make sense after you've done a few projects and, and estimate it the best you can with man hours and costs and whatever it is. And you just keep rolling from there. I'm going to end this thing with a fun question favorite rental car this year. I love the new Chevy Tahoes and Suburbans. They did a very nice job on those SUVs. Very nice job. So we have a lot of, I'll get a lot of Toyotas and Fords and I have a few cars I really, really like. I like, I like Ford uh, Expeditions, F-150s, classic. I like um, Toyota Tacomas, Forerunners. Those are fantastic. 
sometimes we get stuck with a little sedan every once in a while when we don't really need an SUV. That's fine. I've driven I'm oh, a lot of cars at this point because we have all, I've probably driven, shoot, 40, 50 different cars this year. Because sometimes we'll have a different rental car for three or four, four times in a, in a week. And I've been very pleasantly surprised and impressed with the new Suburban and new Tahoe. So good job, Chevy. And I'm a Ford guy. So, but it's just a nice, just a nice vehicle. There's just so many good questions. I'll finish with this one. I said I was going to finish the last one. I'm going to finish with this one. Do you have any regrets in not starting your own dirt company? So, no. This is the path that was laid out for me. This is my way right now to make the dirt world a better place and to go impact the dirt world in the greatest way possible. I'm, I'm in a position to impact the dirt world way, way, way more as a neutral party than if I was a contractor. So frankly, I'm very thankful I didn't become a contractor because I'm, I am now starting to appreciate the position I'm in. You go to all these contractor meetings, so on and so forth. Everybody knows there's a workforce problem. No one's willing to do anything about it because everybody operates in this silo. Everybody competes with one another. Everybody's bidding and, oh, we're contractors. We're just a neutral party. And so we can wander and say, well, hey guys, what about this? How do you, how do you guys think about it? Because I'm not bidding against everybody. Everybody's like, hmm, let's actually talk to this guy. It's like, it's this just amazing, amazing place we're in right now because we're not a contractor. That said, That said, the business, as it stands, doesn't necessarily scratch that heavy equipment, earth-moving itch I have, and I wanted to scratch early on, and that I wanted to scratch by starting a construction company. That's why I bought the skid steer, because I want seat time. I need time in a machine. I want to go move dirt. I want to go work. I want to do all that. It's this just fundamental desire of mine. I want to get out into the field, but I don't want to do it full time. So skits to step one, future state, future state. I, since this is the end of the year and we're asking these big questions, sure. I think we can become, and I have a way to do it. It's not tomorrow. It's not 2022. It's not 2025, but Like I said, I'm going on 27 years old. I got a lot of time. I think we can eventually become one of the largest Caterpillar customers and and heavy equipment, not even Caterpillar, heavy equipment customers in the entire industry. And I think there's a way to move dirt while maintaining what we have going for us. I don't want to become a contractor. I don't want to go start a a build a construction company from the ground up. I don't want to operate a construction company day to day. I've seen it. It's not my thing. It's not for me. I am walking, like I said, the path that's been laid out for me and I feel really good about it. That said, there's still this itch and I have a way future state to scratch it. Right now, skid steer, a few machines here or there and messing around. I, I have a bigger plan here. That goes beyond what we're working on today, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned right now. 
259. That's the build with fleet. Maybe a 304 in the future. Otherwise, give me a little bit of time. Let me work a little bit and I will start to show everybody where, where things are headed because I think it'll be pretty cool. So with that, I'm going to wrap this thing up without looking at any other questions. I'm going to save the remainder of the questions, send them to Alex so that we have them for future episodes. I think they're a ton of fun. There's a lot of room for discussion and all these questions. I appreciate everybody sending them in. I appreciate everybody listening to this podcast this year. If you're listening right now, thank you. Wholeheartedly, thank you. I don't make any money doing this podcast. I promise you. There's no advertising. I'm not, I, I am... There is that we are only spending money on this operation here. Alex is full time on this damn thing, his full time salary on the podcast. And I spend a lot of my time every single week consistently here to record these episodes. So thank you for listening. Thank you for making our time worthwhile. I really appreciate it. If you enjoy the podcast, the least you can do, if you want to help us, is share the podcast. Please go to your Apple podcast app, assuming you listen on Apple, write us a review, rate the podcast. You love it, rate the podcast. You hate it. This is the most garbage production you've ever heard. Rate the podcast. Let us know how much we suck. I'm happy to hear it. Those are the two things you could do for us. Share the podcast, review the podcast. Well, third keep listening. That'd be super cool. We've got a lot of cool stuff planned for 2022. We're really excited you're here with us. We appreciate you being here with us and we will see you in the new year. Uh, Until then, stay dirty, everybody. Thanks for tuning in.